you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Cheers, Austin. Here's to your sunny day. How you been? We've been three days here in Austin, and, and uh, we've received many, many gifts in three days. So we're going to do our best to return the favor tonight. Uh, uh, it's uh, you know to be on the same stage as all these other bands, and uh, means means a lot to us. We're very proud to be here uh, and hopefully we'll tidy this thing up and uh, I'm, I'm not going home personally until I'm covered in dirt and and away we go you're listening to Live on Four Legs the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett Fucking Cameron in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs definitive live pearl jam podcast and today we're getting to a festival show austin city limits from 2009 and it seems like the last year that we did austin city limits in 2014 so we're kind of on this little streak here focusing on that festival a little bit which honestly is one of the more popular festivals in the country so nothing bad with that speaking of festivals we just came off of ohana fest we can talk about that in just a sec because some of the interesting things in the set list in that show but we have some stories to tell here too we promised a story last week we told aaron's story we're going to tell ashley's story this week that does kind of connect with aaron's it's going to be another wonderful story that we're just privileged to be able to share with you guys and then we're going to share a story from dan greenberg who requested this episode as his patreon request and he's been waiting a long time so i'm glad we're finally able to get to him and that's all i got why don't we just get into the show? Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Yep, we're kind of in our post-tour hangover now. Like, it was <laughs> it was good to get, you know, Hana. That was a nice little kind of cap to the year to kind of like one last little jolt of Pearl Jam to get your fix in one last time before the end of the year. But now the hangover is going to start wearing off and we're going to get back into, like I said last week, like our mode of like looking forward to like what's coming next. Right, right, yeah. And I'm excited about that. 
but we just don't know what the timing is going to be like. So it's just kind of an all of a wait and see sort of thing here. I want to talk a little bit about Eddie's Ohana set with the Earthlings, because there was some cool stuff that did happen there. You want to take a second to talk a little bit about it? Do that. Yeah, just just set list wise, because I, I didn't listen to every single performance on this. I went out and I seeked the ones that I wanted to seek. But how about this? When you're opening up the shows and specifically opening up all of these shows on tour with four or five songs that were sort of considered the slow burn to help Ed's voice out, to kind of let them pace out. And granted, you're not going to have as long of a set with the Earthlings, but it's still very interesting to see them open up with Rearview Mirror in this position. I, I don't know about you, but like, yes, it's an amazing call. It's something that I wish they would have done more often with Pearl Jam, but you know, it, it's just funny considering just sort of everything that was in play the whole entire month of September, and, and he goes and does this. Well, I think, too, a lot of the Pearl Jam sets are songs that are 20, 25, 30 years old that, that he does have to work a little harder for. But the solo shows, especially, I think they played a lot of Earthling material. That stuff's a little easier for him now. It's a little more in his range, so he doesn't. Like, during the whole set, it's it's not as stressful for him, so he can pick and choose his points to, to push it a little bit. So I think that's, that's probably why you saw that there. He doesn't need to do a slow burn into his solo set. I saw they did the halves and, like, a couple of tom petty stuff and like that that's right in his wheelhouse right now yeah no absolutely yeah a couple of these you can kind of see like i got shit and a little bit on luke and porch obviously where you know he's building to those as well but like in the dark and invincible don't tax as much on his voice right yeah you're right the pet i want to talk about the petty stuff a little bit because mike camel and the dirty knobs played that night of the festival and i don't know if you recognize this but on sunday it was the five-year anniversary of Tom Petty's death. Yeah, yeah. So that was like, that was really good timing to bring those out. And I don't have any idea if he said anything, if he said anything in tribute to Tom at those shows. He's always putting out tributes and honoring Tom. So I'm going to guess he probably did. But uh, that was... I got to think for room at the top, yeah. Yeah, right. But that was a really good call to have that on the set. And obviously, most of the Earthling songs are in there. There's no Into the Wild stuff. There's no other Eddie solo stuff from ukulele songs or anything else that, that he does in the catalog. Like, Timeless Melody came back. Cinnamon Girl as a yeah. tag on I Got Shit. Dirty Frank is back in this. And <laughs> of course, like, Dirty Frank immediately right. shows back up after, you know, yeah. that was, you remember earlier in the year, that was the big talk. Like, oh, they're, they're just getting ready for Pearl Jam to do it. They're going to no, they're gonna, I, they're gonna do it. And then, like, nope, not even a sniff of it. And then as I, soon as Pearl Jam's over, he comes out and does it this last time with, with Earthlings again. Yeah, I knew that from the very beginning that that was absolutely not happening. Mm -hmm. Like, they did it with Earthlings, so they wouldn't have to do it with Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. That's, trust me. It's a little it's, bit of pouring salt on the wound. It's like, it's hey. It's not. I said that in when you the beginning. I don't, but but for some people it is. For some people, that that's the one that they want, right? That That's the that's the white whale. You wanted this, but here it is again. After that Pearl Jam tour's over, we're going to go right back to it. I, I don't know what to say. Like the band, yep. obviously, if they wanted to play it more, they would. Yep. Ed must want to be one of the people that does want to play it in the band. Obviously, he brings it in because of the Chili Peppers tie-ins. But 
I just don't, if you want to see it, just see it at the Earthling show. I know it's not the same, but isn't it about the song and not about who's playing the song? I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. But the other thing to talk about here is a rendition of Hunger Strike where Andrew Watt is doing the Cornell version on the vocals. What do you think of that? Did you get a chance to listen to a clip? or I have not seen any clips from this yet, but I wonder... If that's going to be considered, some things are are supposed to be sacred and supposed to be untouchable. And like, I wonder, you know, yes, it is an Ed Solo thing. And if this happened at a Pearl Jam show, how would it have been received? I wonder if like some of the old school people would kind of like raise their eyebrow at this and be like, hmm, is he allowed to do that? I don't know. I don't know if we're keeping like, because we, especially, you know, in the last few years, the Cornell stuff has kind of got this reverence around it. And it's like, we, we've talked about how like, oh, they'll never do Hunger Strike again out of reverence for Cornell. And like, here they are, you know, doing it at the solo show. I wonder what the thought behind it was, because it seems a little, something a little weird about it. I got to admit. Well, okay. I, and look, I, I think you bring back the whole idea that it is an Ed Solo set. The what if on would it happen in the Pearl Jam set? And I think that, yeah, I think you're right that people would be pretty disappointed if it was Andrew Watt. And I think that people's perception of it in general is just that Andrew Watt hasn't still, even with all the Earthling Tour stuff, not earned his wings in this community yet. It took Josh a little while, but Josh has totally earned it. And if they did it with Andrew, I think that there would be a little bit of a sour taste. I think there's only one person that they'd be able to do it with that makes it okay. And that one person is Lily Cornell. That's the only person that at a Pearl Jam show would make it work, that it would be emotional, that it would be a tribute. It would be the right way to do it. That's the only person. But then the other half of that is like, it's a great song. And people want to hear the song. So, yeah, I don't know. I got a lot of great songs. It's, you know, that's yeah. that's part of it. It's a 10-era kind of song. You're not going to play the rest of the Temple of the Dog stuff, obviously. Unfortunately, we're maybe never getting, like, a reach down or something again unless it's a, another tribute show. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I can't see a world, or I don't see a world where it happens that way at a Pearl Jam show. So, moving on, I think that... Yeah, it was it was a cool little set and, you know, nice to have those little pieces to take out of that. I think that Eddie, from what I heard from a bunch of people, he was real fired up at their show. So great to hear that. And hopefully they're staying right in California and going right back into the studio as this is all kind of over now. What I would like to do is tell a little bit of a story from our new friend, Ashley Moon. If Ashley and the Pearl Jam universe is a connection for you that's because ashley was actually kind of a big part of a show back in ottawa so i'm gonna tell this story thankfully she was so gracious to share it all and a lot of fantastic stuff in here a lot of emotional stuff so i'm gonna just get into that right now so if you remember last week we heard from erin mckay and erin requested a dedication for her brother john for off he goes and got both other side and off he goes out of that and got the tribute and all that ed mentioned her name and and everything like that so it's just really remarkable that these two connected in some manner before that quebec city show even happened so here's the story 
I met Erin, who received the dedication for her brother John, in the GA line in Quebec City. We hung out all afternoon, swapping stories, and we immediately hit it off. We quickly bonded over recent heartbreak. She had lost her older brother John the month before, I lost my dad two months earlier, and my older brother and two uncles not long before that. Erin told me she wrote to various Pearl Jam social media accounts asking them to play Off He Goes for her brother John. I think I told her that. I also sent a message for her dedication, but I can't fully remember. However, I do remember showing her my yellow t-shirt that says, Pass the Pinot, that I had with me in hopes to share some wine with Eddie. I had that t-shirt six years ago at the last Quebec City show, and Ed tossed me a tambourine, so the shirt has already proven to be lucky. Towards the beginning of the show, Eddie started talking about the note he received from Erin, explaining her recent loss and song request. They essentially played two songs for her, Other Side, which they chose, and Off He Goes, which Erin requested. When Eddie started talking about the note, I immediately had a full body goosebumps and got choked up, so incredibly happy that my new friend got her wish, and I'm getting choked up while writing this, just remembering how special that moment was. During Purple Rain, Eddie started to share his wine with people in the front row and a rush of adrenaline kicked in. I prayed he'd come over to Mike's side of the stage to share some with me. He eventually made his way over, poured me a red solo cup of wine, and looked right at me and said, cheers. And we drank together. I was so stunned, I couldn't believe it, that it actually happened. I drank wine with Eddie Vedder. I wasn't at all disappointed that I didn't get a song dedication. I was out of this world ecstatic that Aaron got hers, that I had a precious moment with Eddie, and had met some truly fabulous people that day. When the show was done, I ran up to Erin to tell her how happy I was for her to get the dedication, and she was equally thrilled for me. As we floated to our respective highs toward the exit, security told me I couldn't leave with my cup, as there was still a little bit of wine left in it, and he pointed to the garbage can. I drank the rest of the wine, but looked at him and said, there's no way I'm throwing this cup out. Eddie gave it to me. This is part two, featuring what happened at the Ottawa show, which she is heavily involved with here. Two days later, I was still on a high as my best friend and I headed to Ottawa. I didn't tell her about the letter that I sent to Pearl Jam, because I figured it wouldn't reach them or strike any kind of chord, and I was okay with that, because just going to see them was more than enough for me. The show started, I was back in heaven with my favorite band and best friend. After Jeremy ended, Eddie started talking about a woman who was in the front row in Quebec City with whom he shared some wine, asking where she was, as she was supposed to be in the audience that night. At this point, my mouth dropped open in utter disbelief, and I knew that somehow the stars aligned and my letter reached the band. Unless Eddie is psychic, how else would he have known that I was supposed to be in the audience that night? I'm sorry to the guy that was next to me because in that moment of realization, I jumped and screamed out, oh my god, that's me, like a complete crazy person, and startled him. Eddie scans the crowd and sees my best friend and I jumping like idiots, our arms flailing about. Next thing I know, Eddie says that I was too far away and asked that I come to the stage. According to my friend, I then turned to Mush and fell into my seat. I take her word for it because I'm pretty sure I momentarily blacked out from shock. I pulled myself together, went down to the stairs to the GA floor, and towards the stage. On my way to the stage, Eddie starts singing an impromptu song. Ashley Moon is coming soon. Ashley Moon, so glad you're in the room. I should have listened to the bootleg before singing that part, so I kind of give you a sense of it. But yeah, she says here, I'll be listening to the bootleg for the rest of my life. 
I somehow made it to the side of the stage without falling on my face and sat behind the soundboard technician. Eddie recaps our moment of sharing wine, saying that I had a great beating energy and said that he got my note and recaps the gist of it, that their music has saved me from time and time again. Says he's happy to return the favor and dedicates Porch to my brother Jesse, Dad Joe, and Uncle Roma. I stayed on the side of the stage for the remainder of the show, still in total awe at what was happening. Towards the end of the show, Ed throws me a tambourine, and a team member gives me a copy of the set list and a couple of guitar picks. The cherry on top, Stone, came over to me at the last song and gave me a lit up like a Christmas tree smile and a massive hug. And then it was over, but I stayed there on the side stage for a while, unable to move, and just took everything in. My friend said that my dad had a hand in aligning the stars to make my dream come true two nights over. I like to think she's right. I will forever be floating on a cloud of astonishment and gratitude for these life-changing shows. No matter how cold the winter, there's springtime ahead. Well, wow. Look, you run into coincidences and then you run into like these things that, you know, she says the stars aligning and all that. And like, it is one of these situations, like how did he know about her being the girl he, he gave wine to? It must, something must, yeah. uh, something must have connected. That's very interesting though. Yeah. It's a great story. Thanks actually. Yeah. You wonder like there's gotta be some liaison between like the groups and the band. Someone's in charge of this. Like, Hey, you got to remember this person is doing this. Cause like, just amazing like the level of connection that they think of these people and yeah that's that's an incredible story yes and we had we had talked about that on that episode like i do remember that little improv he was doing about her we couldn't really make out what it was but like yeah that's that's really interesting i actually asked if that was a real song (laughs) he like yeah yeah found a song in his head that had you know the uh the name ashley in it and kind of sang it but no we know the true story now and what a wonderful story thank you once again to aaron mckay and thank you to ashley moon for sharing in back-to-back weeks and connecting these two stories because it's just fantastic that we were able to to tell it and you guys were able to connect it and now all these stories of dedications and everything that's going on like you know i'd love to share more stuff like that in the future on future episodes so if you're out there and you know i'm thinking about debbie who got sad dedicated to her sharing her story would be very important and would be a nice way to add her in here i know she listens so that's why i'm saying it so if you guys do have a story like this from this past tour and want to share it please send us an email live on four legs podcast at gmail.com the number four and uh we'll get you on the show because we just want to keep telling these and keep these stories alive john how about another story you ready sure okay so this episode was requested by dan greenberg through a patreon request we can talk a little bit about that much later when we head into the encore about requests and how you might be able to get one for joining on patreon and dan has been a longtime patron and thankfully we were able to get to him today so this is his story about today's episode austin city limits from 2009 for those listening in it is the second night It is not the televised show it is the show afterwards so here it goes I've had the good fortune to see Eddie and the boys 11 times in concert, my first show in 1996 in Columbia, Maryland, and my most recent last week in Nashville. 
Each show has been a gift, and these more recent shows even more so, since this ride sadly won't go on forever. When I saw them in Austin City Limits in 2009, it had been three years since I saw them in Washington, D.C. in 06, and wouldn't see them again until Dallas in 2013. I think we all know the festival vibe is different than the arena experience, and often the set lists we get kind of reflect that. ACL in 2009 was a memorable experience for a couple reasons, some having to do with the show, some not. Here are the highlights. The mud. That's one of the things that I love about you know, reading these stories, because on a bootleg and a show that doesn't have a lot of video to its name, you don't get to see the mud too much. Zilker Park, where Austin City Limits is held, it was an enormous mud pit. If you ever walk through a muddy field, then you know the feeling of heavy shoes and the smell of wet dirt. I'm not sure if they had tried to do some turf work before the festival, but it was a mess. In fact, during the show, there was a group that became mud people, rolling around in it, covering themselves in it, throwing it around. Seems like kind of harping back to the days of Lollapalooza in, in 1992 there. Like that was something I think Ed got kind of got in on for a while. I suspect there were other elements at play with these folks, but the sight of that group and the feeling of mud on my shoes is one I won't soon forget. In fact, I ended up throwing my shoes away when I got to my car at the end of the night. They were so trashed. It was a strong main set, starting out with Why Go and running through a slew of favorites. I thought the version of Not For You they played was especially crunchy, and I love the Modern Girl tag. Speaking of tags, they tacked on WMA to Daughter that night as well. What stuck out to me when I think about the show are two big things. One, the number of non-album songs and covers that we got. Pretty cool to get four in the show of the 22 songs, if you don't count the intros, including State of Love and Trust and The Real Me. Number two, the most important part about this show may have been who showed up on stage with the band. First, Ben Harper comes on stage during Encore 1 and absolutely shreds Red Mosquito. We'll talk a lot about that. Not sure if I'd ever heard a version like that. Then, to kick off the second encore, they bring out Perry Farrell and destroy us all with Mountain Song. I still get chills when I hear that version or watch the YouTube clip. It's absolutely epic. While some folks will remember Eddie getting in the crowd and getting all muddy during Rocking in the Free World to close the night, for my money, Mountain Song remains the highlight. I checked PearlJam.com and it looks like they've only played that song twice, so I count myself pretty lucky to seen it that night with all of those guys in that environment. And look, other places that you can check are obviously LiveFootsteps.org. We'll have that information as well. And the other show where they did it, I believe, was one of the South American shows in 2018. I want to say it might have been Rio. It might have been something else, though. So great story. Thank you so much, Dan, for sharing that. Yeah, thanks, Dan. And I think with that, that's kind of all we need to get into this. They they played, as, as mentioned, the TV performance the night before, and that has some good moments in it. But this is kind of, you know, early Backspacer. Backspacer had come out, like, what, two weeks before this show? And it's still kind of on the forefront of everybody's minds. But we don't get a ton of Backspacer at this show. We get, like, basically the three that they were going around and promoting at the time. Reminds you a lot of Gigaton this year. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, at festivals and, and yep. you know, new songs and, and new albums at festivals really don't mix too well. So I, I get it. But all right, let's dig into the set here. 
The drum beat kicks off. Ed says, good evening, campers, and they speed right away into a why-go opener. Good evening, campers. this got a pretty fired up start the crowd is on top of the massive call and response moment a ton of energy coming out of this to kick off the night you can tell they're in a good mood matt sounds great as does mike matt is a good highlight for the show but there are some discussions to be had around sort of what matt is doing what did you think of the open i thought it was good i mean the, the thing with this whole night it just felt a little rushed like I think this is one of those where they're definitely on the clock. Like, they've got a hard out, probably, so you're going to get some compressed. There's not a lot of speeches. There's not a lot of talking. Waiko, I thought, is is one where they come out and they're like, we got to get this place going right away. And I thought, really, Mike on this was absolutely the highlight. Just felt like he just let loose right from the beginning. Like, let's not waste any time. Let's just go for it. Yeah, I agree with the whole show sounding rush thing, and I really don't want to make every moment about that, but there are things in here with songs that aren't usually sounding like that that are a little bit odd in terms of just balance-wise and in terms of flow-wise. So we are going to be mentioning it a couple of times because that is sort of a theme that's going to be ongoing here. But... After Why Go, we get a pretty energetic next three with the Interstellar Overdrive opening for Corduroy and then Got Some and Not For You, which is not usually in the top four songs, so that's kind of interesting here. And I think that there is a lot of energy. There is a lot of energy. Does it feel rushed? Yeah. But I feel like some of the songs that are kind of meant to be sped up a little bit I'm okay with that happening during, you know, Corduroy is fine for that. I think not for you is fine for that. And, you know, it's, it's also 2009 is, is kind of the beginning of where things sort of picked up and, you know, they'd play a little bit longer sets. So they want to get in more songs for the longer sets and, you know, Corduroy out of that just felt like a sprint, like balls to the wall, machine like, Cameron maneuvering and you know the festival crowd is getting their asses handed to them early like that's kind of the gist of what I thought about at least the early part of the set yeah and like I've been to a show like this where you know it's, it's a festival you know they're pressed for time and you know that it feels like 
at some point you're not getting like the full experience like you can tell like they're not really letting loose their full potential on this but quarter eye i thought was one of the highlights especially like you mentioned cameron at the end really kicks into like a high gear fast part at the end i thought that was great got some i thought a little sloppy they don't quite hit the ending it's a little rough the night before the the television performance i remember watching that and being really impressed especially you know the a lot a lot of good stuff from that maybe i think this one has a little bit of hangover from that and yeah just got some of the first one that i felt it's just a little sloppy there's gonna be a few of them didn't really hit and then this is not for you like i i feel bad saying this because you know dan pointed it out as one of his ones that he thought really hit but i thought not for you was just kind of neutered here it felt kind of a little bit of like backspacerized like it didn't really have the hit that it needed i think that little intro that they did in the beginning of it do you think that sort of set it off on a bad tone because it was just all bass drum in there start and I thought it didn't have the power that not for you you normally has and you know that could be just you know coming off the bootleg that's all we have Dan was obviously there I did notice too he changes the lyric to seats just for you know I think by that time he had had both of his daughters I think so mm -hmm. that's probably a reference to his family which I thought was a nice touch I think at one point he, it makes a reference to being out of tune or something it, just, it sounded like their attitude instead of the store my room part it sounded like their attitude i i could be wrong on that but i was out of tune something was off on this and just going from the bootleg just didn't feel like something that came across the way they wanted it to maybe Ed says, cheers, Austin. Here's to your sunny day. Have you been? Been here for three days and received many gifts, so we'll return the favor tonight. Not going home personally until I'm covered in dirt. When you say you're covered in dirt, that means you got to play something hard, but actually this one's a little bit more quiet. We get into a combination of small town, then given a fly and worldwide suicide. A little bit of a stumble on small town lyrics. It was... The yeah, the 307th time playing it, but everybody's human. He's done it before. He'll do it again. So, you know, just kind of brush it off, of course. After that, he kind of says, I'm already covered in dirt and moisture, and he's going to keep checking on the crowd as time goes along. He does these little bits. He kind of stops for maybe like a minute or so to talk to them, but it happens a lot, but it's not like he's giving some grand speech and dedicating stuff. There may be like one point where he does, but that's about it. I thought that given a fly was one of the ones that really got a little bit too out of hand. 
And you notice that out of Given a Fly because I think that, you know, when Given a Fly was played originally with Jack Irons, it had just such a nice groove to it. And obviously on the studio album, it's, it's one of the best produced songs that they have. And, you know, just the way that it ebbs and flows and builds, it just has that kind of warm feel to it. And I've grown out of the whole, like, uh, don't never play Given a Fly fast, but I thought that this one was a little bit egregious in comparison to that. There was a nice crowd moment on Give to Fly. I think he has made it out to Texas at yep. Smoking Tree, and there's a you hear a big reaction from the crowd, like they oh, the Texans love, love their Texans. And then Worldwide Suicide, just not good at the show. I'm sorry, I'll just come out and say it. It lost a little bit of the strummy bite when they're just trying to cram it, and that's what it felt like here. The song does have bite when it's good, but this is just like early middle of the set so just run just sprint and play the song and it sounded unnatural pretty much yeah it didn't really do anything for me Worldwide suicide so weird because you know the shows we talk about after you know we've done a lot of shows post 2014 and like we never talk about it because it hasn't been played and like you really only get it in this window from like 2006 to kind of 2012 really and it starts to kind of fade after this but such a weird song in their catalog like it was the single and like there's a it was there's big a, for a while a fans were very high on it for a while were some they? fans were I still yeah yeah the more the more that i talk to people the more that i, I realize more people just want it back they like it <laughs> i think i liked it more back then than i do now but it's still yeah one of the songs where people kind of attach to yeah, it's, it's so weird because it feels like we almost never talk about it when it comes up. It's almost like, oh, yeah, that song exists. I always kind of forget, but I feel like it's one of those on Avocado that like could have been a little better and could have had a little more anger in it, seeing what was going on around at the time. And it, the story is like it was written about Pat Tillman, the, the former NFL player who was killed by Friendly Fire. That was a big deal around, you know, that war. And felt like this song should have had more i don't know a little more something extra to it it just the song just kind of feels like an afterthought almost that yeah 2006 like there's some good versions you know you're getting it fresh but i think there's there's a reason they haven't played it in eight years i just think it never really came across live like it never really translated and became one of those songs like an inside job did like a comeback has it does feel like resurrecting the post binaural songs are a lot more difficult than resurrecting any of the 90s songs like you know you're fine if if a no code song comes back people are really excited about it but you know something off avocado comes back and the people have to get almost used to it again and recognize that if they like the first version of it if the first version just killed then they will want more of it and i'll tell you they want more of it but some of those songs they're just hesitant on because they just don't feel like it's on the fans minds anymore you know that's why you don't go back to you know songs like rival or songs like big wave or songs like the speed of sound or the yeah, like, force of nature speed of sound johnny guitar right. like take your pick off of that right of because that the minute they yeah. start those songs the majority of the crowd is going to be like huh or huh and yeah. not oh so if they want those moments then 
pluck from the first five records. That's why we see a lot of Garden and Deep, because, yeah, they're not considered to be the most played out of all the ten songs, but, you know, Garden was basically every three shows at this tour, yeah. you know? Like that's more of a common song than it's ever been outside of 1992 now. So, but things changed and that's the way the cookie kind of crumbles here. Let's uh, dig into even flow and then follow that up with unthought known and daughter. And I think what the problem was ultimately with worldwide suicide is that like I mentioned, no flow, no balance with given a fly, you're able to build, especially off of small town. The idea is that you build, you build, you build, and worldwide suicide, even if it was played pretty normally, would just not be a very good transition into even flow. Give it a fly is a terrific transition into even flow, and it kind of takes you, it took you down with small town, give it a fly, you warmed back up, and even flow, now you're about to kind of go bananas again. And it felt like Worldwide Suicide kind of ruined that moment to go bananas in a way. I agree. You know, it would have been a better flow. But give it to Mike. He did his best to get that thing going. It, there was the big moment early with Waco where he just sounded incredible. And here, you can tell, like, he's trying to lift the show and put it on his shoulders and take it somewhere. He's just on fire on this, it felt like. A very good Mike performance. I think, you know, obviously the whole band knows that they're on a time crunch and they've, they've got this festival and they need to get all these songs in. Mike is going to be the one to step up and be like, hey, I've, I've got to get in my moments and get in and get out here. It really felt like he did a really good job of getting to the intensity of the Even Flow solo quickly. And I thought the Even Flow solo was one of the highlights of the night. Unthought Known and Daughter in the Section 2, and Unthought Known is actually the ninth performance of this song, because you have to think, the 21st is the first show after the record came out, so they don't have a lot of attempts to play this. I believe that that night debuted the song. But as for the performance, and as for what, what I kind of think like very early on with songs, is this going to attach? How does this attach? I thought that it captured the identity of what unthought known is and it took it to a place where you had those big builds and you know i feel like in this kind of show where they were pushed for time they did rush a lot of things it felt like ed was able to milk in that big moment where it kind of just pauses and then revs back up real quick after mike's little solo there See the path, go by the moon 
Can you see the past cut by the moon? Can I do that again, man? See the path cut by the moon For you to walk on See the waves on distant shores Waiting oh, your arrival of the opposite of worldwide suicide where it it did kind of catch on with people and it did kind of take on a new life live and yeah i think ed he stops the song and sees the moon and like talks about it a little bit and it's it's a nice little moment in the middle of a song like normally you would think especially on a new song that would kind of kill the momentum especially you know when they're trying to get through this and trying to get things in and out but unthought known is probably the backspacer song that's had kind of the best live history and it's kind of like built into something really nice that people really look forward to so yeah good performance here how about daughter on this it like it was a good version i I was just a little disappointed at the tag just being semi-abrupt finishing you know it just felt weird there wma didn't really feel like it had the bite and like maybe this is like you know pearl jam the obama years but it's like we had so many good WMAs this year and like, you know, we saw what, what Josh was adding to it and they would really kind of go off and you'd hear kind of Jeff going to the baseline and some of them were very, very good. And you know, that that's the next kind of evolution episode that we're going to be digging into here very shortly. But it felt like this one, yeah, just kind of like a little bit sterilized, like just didn't feel like there was any bite behind it. Yeah. It was, it was a little weird. Yeah. It did feel like this era needed something else in that spot. And sometimes, like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, they were able to mix in even different songs every single night, whatever was on Ed's mind. But WMA never really went away. However, I think that if it would have been held off for more eras, then bringing it back, make it feel almost like a long-lost friend when it does come back, sort of like what It's Okay is now, because they didn't do it at all this year. Then uh, I think... You don't have to remind me. Right, all right. I think you have a big moment with that, but... Yeah, this one didn't quite work. So, Ed, thanks, Austin. Says, good singers, y'all are here. Since this is the live music capital of the nation, I don't think we've played here since 1995. I just want to apologize. I don't know what the fuck we were doing. And then the next three songs are going to be like, outside of Red Mosquito a little bit later, and then Mountain Song in the second encore, this is like their rare section for a festival present tense kind of turned into a song that they played in festivals more often but hell hell probably at this stage in the game not being played at festivals as much and insignificance definitely after this not being played at all let alone festivals but that's the trio hell hell and insignificance into present tense and this is i guess for the hardcore fan that's sitting there and saying let's get something big and i think that like hell hell sounded pretty good that's one i think that you're able to rev up the faster version does get exciting and the big claps become bigger and all that 
insignificance i'm going to tee up in a second because that's going to get a speech that goes into that as well as present tense so overall what do you think of the three and then we'll kind of tee up the speeches yeah i thought hill hill was definitely the best of them i thought the ending was very cool you get matt doing some accents on the end there that i thought added to it uh, yeah nice surprise here to get all of a sudden like yeah, we, we kind of throw this around like festival set. Like, oh, it's a festival set. It's going to be greatest hits, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of times they will slide in these these little mini sets of deep cuts here. And yeah, who would have thought you were going to get a binaural song at this show kind of sandwiched in between two no-code songs. That's kind of like, on paper, it looks like super weird. Like, oh, they did those three here? Weird. But I was looking forward to this, watching it and being like, okay, it's going to kind of kick in and ramp up. But it didn't, like, this isn't the present tense that we got this year with like they were really into it it's an insignificance too like 2000 versions of 2003 insignificance some of the best stuff they've done again this whole show i just i thought it was just a little bit rushed it didn't feel like they were hitting on the moments that that they usually hit on i don't know if it was due to, to sloppiness or like i said a little bit of hangover from the night before being on tv but it just didn't hit like it should have i thought yeah, now I'll go into the speeches and songs performed and why they performed them do the speeches, but we'll get into insignificance first. Ed says, I don't know how many people are out there, but it looks like an ocean and the ocean goes farther than I thought. The big wave is coming. High tide. It's been a great weekend for music. You're all incredible individuals and you all have something incredibly unique and special about you. But then he calls attention to a local hospital, which is the biggest hospital for burn victims and amputees from the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. We have a hundred soldiers that made it to the show and points to where they are. And don't you just love giving some love to the troops, especially ones that have been injured and have had way worse, unfortunate things happen to them. But you follow that up with a big anti-war protest song in insignificance. And that's like their, their way of saying, fuck you guys as to the government, what you're seeing right here shouldn't be happening at all. I thought that that was a real nice little way to tie that in whether or not the soldiers caught on to that whether or not the fans caught mm -hmm. on to that i did and i know you did too and i thought that that was a yeah. wonderful way to to tie the two things in especially in quote unquote the red states that they go and they've always kind of like got that in the back of their mind yeah the speech before present tense has him talking to ben harper at 8 30 in the morning so he says, I couldn't believe how quick the sun came up. We stayed up all night and figured out how to change the planet. We couldn't wait to tell you. We had it all figured out. We wrote it down, but you can't fucking read it. It's a scribbled mess. We're going to have somebody transcribe it. And when we come back, we'll read it to you because it's made for you. And that digs into present tense. The, the one thing about present tense I thought was interesting. And I guess from what you were saying, sort of a little bit of a mess. The first chorus had Ed going high on it, and that doesn't happen too often. And at first, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, maybe it'll lead to even something bigger in the second verse. And yeah, it felt really full. It felt kind of big, but I think you have to go low on the first one, then turn the, the second one into the big moment. I think that if you do it for both, it's just kind of a little bit stale for that song, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's like you're giving away the punchline too early, right? Yeah. You're, you need to save that and have it hit and be the big moment. 
and like a lot of times, you know, the crowd will take that and he get, he'll give it to the crowd and like, doesn't do that here. This whole show, it just kind of feels like something was off. Yeah. I, like, I, no, I, nothing was really, nothing, didn't feel like the things were working like they were supposed to be working. And especially, you know, with the next two, it's going to be a big part of that too, I think. Well, I think the issue is, is that you got one good one. You're like, okay, find some momentum on this. And the next one just sort of derails just enough for you to say, okay, let's wait for the next one. Like it kind of, that's what I I mean about the flow and balance. They don't go on a run, you know, they don't go on a run on this. So ending the set, you're going to get state of love and trust fixer and go. Oh, that's giving fixer a lot of credit right there to go in between those two. That's a lot. Sure. I know it was the single at the time, but I don't think they'd ever go to that nowadays, even though they've kind of teased Fixer being on a set list yep. at some of the shows one this was, year. It was cut a lot this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Two or three times. But around it, it, it kind of, I guess, aids Fixer in a way because you have these 90 songs that are revered by everybody, you know, loving from singles record and, and obviously loving go from verses. And I was just wanted to see how it fit, and I just didn't get something that made me feel like Fixer was going to be more powerful than it was. You know that I think that's where that one sort of floated a little bit, and same kind of idea with with Worldwide Suicide, where it's like, okay, we know the song, but after you hear it a lot, you kind of get the gist. And it's not like there's going to be a more powerful moment coming out of that. It's not like if Immortality would have started off with like kind of a tough start, but then build into what it built into, then that song kind of had that already built within it. But I don't think Fixer has it. I don't think that Worldwide Suicide has it. And I don't want people thinking that I'm saying that because these are both newer dad ed era songs. Uh, it's, it's just, it's out there. It's pretty apparent. And as we mentioned, the band kind of thinks that too. Yeah, it seems that way, but I'm, I don't want to skip over state of love and trust here. Please. Yeah. Thought, please talk about that. I thought this, this state of love and trust was, I'm just, I just can't mince words on. I thought it was awful. Oof. Um, they're going to kill us for this episode. I know. I know. But it's played way too fast, but that's not why I didn't really feel it. I mean, because you can play things fast and they can still hit and they can still have power and they can still be a moment. But I just thought this felt fast and just limp. I thought I just didn't have anything behind it. And again, that's just going off the bootleg. I was not there. Full disclaimer, I fully admit to you know if someone like I said Dan was there wants to think thinks that I'm wrong fully admit that but coming out of the speakers on this just did nothing for me this felt like filler and like state of love and trust should not feel like filler in a set go I thought was a little better you know go is always one that you you like to see in the set again short only 16 songs in the main set here and Go ending the main set means that they're not doing porch here. You're not getting a six or seven minute of porch. You're not getting a six or seven minute of rear view mirror. So that's an indication of how this night is going. Well, on State of Love and Trust, what I will say here in defense of the festival crowd and defense of the people that were there 
when you do hear it and you're in the moment and that's like that's a show like there's mud all over the place and they are playing things really fast so your mind is just reacting quickly to things and you can't think from song to song like oh this is too much you know this is a little bit too fast this is kind of out of place and all that i think the show doesn't allow for that when you hear it live so state of love and trust being played the way it is i think when you hear it on the spot and maybe there are some people that disagree with me but like it can be fun obviously the the versions that have more of a groove are the ones that kind of take the mantle on this and you know those have been the ones that people have loved over the years but i think state of love and trust being fast and being in a festival crowd and being just in a crowd in general and this is always one that that i seem to break a sweat to every single time I think that people are just enjoying it. People are just enjoying that, you know, the music is around them and it feels powerful. It feels energetic. And that's pretty much all you need. Like, I, I, I'll have to defend the people on this one because I, <laughs> I, I you're making I me, making that. me, making me come out to be the bad guy here. No, well, um, I was the yeah, I'm not last year on Austin city, city limits. If you remember correctly. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm, the people that were there, yeah, you, you hear State of Love and Trust, you're going to be into it. It's, you know, it's one of the ones that people absolutely love. And I'm trying yeah, to and, win back. And again, but I, but like I said, it's it's not just the fact that it was played too fast. It's the fact that it was, there was just something off about it. I don't know if it was like the, the guitar tone that was coming off on the bootleg or like the way that Cameron maybe didn't feel like he had time to go off and do the things he normally does on it, but... Like I said, if it's it can be played too fast and still be good, but this one just ah, just didn't have any of the life that State of Love and Trust usually has. I'm gonna get off of State of Love and Trust. I'm gonna get a right to go because I haven't said anything about go yet. But I loved in the beginning. You hear I'd kind of whisper, "Don't go, don't go, don't go." really really cool and go is one of those songs where like i said before you can rev it up you can make it feel like one of those just sweat inducing songs that and that's fine like some of the other ones as you mentioned before we talked about they don't work in that aspect as well but go is meant to be fast and i don't see any problem with making it faster because it's already got that fast presence so you're gonna kill them with this version and you've already like slaughtered them with the energy and and power that you brought from most of the rest of these performances but i think you can do that on go and get away with it i really do you know you can do that and spin a black circle and get away with it yeah like i think maybe on bootleg it's like okay this isn't the most appetizing version but it's all for the crowd. It's only played for the crowd. And bootleg is kind of like a, you know, that, that's sort of a, a dessert menu sort of thing. So I don't say that often, and I really feel like I should. I feel like we should. So, yeah, I'm going to leave that there and dig into the encore because it's time to pause for station identification. But let's start off by thanking our new patron this week, Tony S., Thank you, Tony, for joining up on Patreon this week. And we're going to have to come up with some new content over for Patreon because, uh, of course, all the shows are over right now. We have some things in the works, but 
maybe we'll think of like little things to sort of spread out that are easy for us. We used to do things that we would call them devos where it was a little bit more of a lighthearted topic conversation. Maybe we can kind of go back to that and do like a 15 minute thing at some point in the future. But I think the big things right now to look out for on that platform are the WMA evolution, which we're going to hope to get done at some point late October. I know nothing, man. Yeah, we, we kept saying it and saying it and saying, it, but we don't have a tour now. So a lot of open time to, to work on stuff. And I am mine and save you for the late night series. We'll end up doing two. Yep. If you yep. have a 1991 or 1992 show that you would like to hear us talk about that has a bootleg to it, pitch it and we will consider it for the patreon platform i think that would be a nice little way to involve you guys in it for those that really dug into deep early bootlegs there i'm actually itching to get back into doing setlist drafts i'm hoping that we can huh. we can kick in one of those maybe before the end of the year yeah and i think we'd have to kind of tailor it to what we just saw and you know yeah. make it different and that. then almost in a way We'll figure this out, but it, it, yeah, I, I think that ideas are now cooking up. Like we, we kind of sat on it for a little while, but I think now is a good time to kind of get people involved with it again because it feels like we have so many more people that are on Patreon right now that it would be nice to get some of them involved in in a show in a way because we haven't done that in a long time. So let's lightly in pencil put it on the books, and we'll we'll think about doing it at a certain date and maybe kind of doing a, a bigger version of it. Who the hell knows? As mentioned during the show, this is a Patreon requested episode that we're listening to right now. And you as well could have your own episode that we do on the show. It's through Patreon and it is through the Giggle Egg and the Horizon Leg tiers. If you want to donate to either of those, it's $5 a month for the Giggle Egg. It is $10 a month for the Horizon Leg. Or if you decide to go yearly, you chop a little bit of that full price off of that and you get 10 months of the service instead of having to pay all 12 months through the monthly service. That might entice some of you guys to use that sort of way of, uh, of joining in. And what we love about people pitching these episodes, and obviously, you know, this one has steered a little bit more on the negative side, unfortunately, and, you know, not on purpose. I, I, I think I like this show better than I let on. But what we really like is we like when people bring up these kind of shows that aren't on our radars because we're thinking about stuff from specific years and we do want to do stuff with specific things in those shows and on and on and on and when somebody brings up like Las Cruces from last week originally that episode was supposed to be Phoenix from 1995 and when I saw that Las Cruces was a request I said well we're taking Phoenix out because this this is more important to to the time here and for Austin City Limits on this one I know we waited for a whole year, but some I like to kind of try to keep close to the anniversaries attached to. And I think that's the case for this one. But if you want to request patreon.com slash live on four legs, join the giga leg or horizon leg tier. Or if you just want to support the show, that's good enough for us. If you want to listen to the exclusive episodes, that's more than good enough for us. And you can do that by joining up on the bonus leg tier. That's a dollar a month or for the whole entire year, that's $10 for the year that you get all of the extra content on 
that platform. Patreon.com slash Live on Four Legs or go to the Patreon app and search for Live on Four Legs or go to LiveOnFourLegs.com and tap on the Become a Patron button and you're there. And once again, we had surpassed 200 patrons from our little... Yeah, from our little run in September, getting to our 200th episode. So once again, thank you everybody for pitching in on that. And now the goal is like, all right, let's make sure all 200 of those people are happy. And if you are a patron, and look, there's a lot of patrons that we're friends with. There's a lot of people that we keep in touch with. If you're a patron that hasn't kept in touch with us, reach out because we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you want out of this show. Live on four legs podcast at gmail.com to do that. All right, back to the rock in the encore here. Ed, this is going to be a pretty big moment that kind of comes from uh, the first part and maybe the moment that attaches to this era and attaches to the show. Ed says, We ain't going nowhere. Part of our band tonight, we have a new member, and Ben Harper is going to join us here. Obviously, a lot of history with that playing indifference and doing the daughter tag the uh with my own two hands at msg and it feels like ben has always been in the mix going back to 1995 where he did so you want to be a rock and roll star with them in san jose so it's been for a long time that they've been close and during 2009 where i believe he got to open up for them a lot he was involved on this very special performance of red mosquito but Ed kind of gives a, a mention to Dead Weather, who's so badass, and then the Crooked Vultures, who were also insane. They had to play the TV show the last night. They missed the B-52s, and Ed was upset about that. And then he asked Ben, why did we stay up so late? As you may have heard from earlier, they stayed up until 8.30 in the morning to talk and apparently change the planet. Ed said, I had one beer after the show, told myself I'd be in bed in 15 minutes, and that was before the tequila and a little smoke. And we don't get to really know how they're going to change the planet, guys. I think it was just a hoax. That's They they, <laughs> they teed it up, and apparently, it, I guess the writing was too bad that they couldn't transcribe it. I guess that's really what that... Yeah, would have been, been nice, to. guys. Would have been nice, maybe... Maybe next time you use the typewriter. <laughs> so I guess Ben wasn't prepared yet. So he's just, it all kind of starts with, I don't know, I guess. He's taking, taking a nap backstage, recovering from the. Yeah, the right. Night, probably. Yeah. But we get Jazz Odyssey. Odyssey is back for I don't know how many times they've done it. They've done it in all. Yeah, but they, I mean, they did the jazz, jazz, experimental jazz stuff. So it's all over the place. And, you know, I I think this was more like the, the experimental jazz was fun. I love when Mike screams at and all that. But yeah, like this is 
this actually like isn't bad it's not badly played it's not like they're making fun of themselves you know (laughs) they're just doing something kind of cool and they found a melody and they're like yeah sure fuck it you know i I didn't think that this was like an embarrassing kind of thing or even them making fun of themselves yeah well obviously it's like a it's a takeoff on the spinal tap thing and it's different because like there's there's free jazz which was like 2003 yeah, that's experimental jazz. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, this is kind of the same thing. But, yeah, just, I mean, it's it's just a little throwaway thing. I mean, he, yeah, you can say they found a melody with it or whatever. But it's, yeah, it's just a takeoff on Spinal Tap. And it only lasts for, like, what, 15 or 20 seconds probably. Not long at all because yeah. the highlight here is obviously Red Mosquito. first time that we've covered Ben's version of Red Mosquito on the show so it kind of got excited for us you know I, I think this song and its roots is very bluesy and you have this other piece that's added in here with the slide guitar that is kind of a vital blues sound and you know a lot of those spots that are usually dedicated for Mike obviously are being played by Ben here and then I think they go all out on the dueling solos and it just sounds incredible like they found a real groove with it like you know ben was going off and mike was like let me let me let me uh let me get involved with this because this is my song to get involved on and they just freaking tear it up this was great i I love this yeah i remember when the television version came out that was the thing that that had people kind of going like wow that was was great and like this kind of deep cut song kind of took on a new life with his input on it yeah give give ben harper a lot of credit because he he really gets into it and i yeah i think this is absolutely the highlight from the show the highlight from the show before and this one i think and i like that they gave it a kind of a prime spot here coming out of the encore i think it it deserved that it would have been a little weird to have it like in the middle of that main set to come out and then be like hey all right come do this great thing and then leave and we're gonna keep going with, with these other songs but i think this was the perfect spot to do it in and yeah i think it really benefits like the the night before i think they tore through it that's a great version as well and i think here getting to do it twice in a row they just kind of build off what they did and yeah it's it's fantastic
love from watching this is just watching Ben's hands. It was like watch, like he was so fast with this. He was just all over the oh, fretboard. Yeah. It looked like you were watching a blur at times. You barely even made out his fingers, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then Stone is headbanging like I've never seen before on this. Like I had read a comment. I had gone through. I, I, there was something that's going to come up in just a second that I wanted to kind of get some clarity on. And one thing that was mentioned in this thread here was that 2009, 2010 was apparently the year that Stone kind of broke out of the Stone Zone and started doing things like headbanging every night and really like you know getting down and getting fun with it. You know, and Stone's always been, so he's always been doing that. I don't know well, about. I don't know if that's the first time. He's doing it. No, let's, it's not the first time. Uh, let's, let's, let's give Stone some credit here. It's the prominent time. I, don't, I wouldn't say first time, but the prominent time. In he was letting his hair down a little bit. Well, literally. Yeah. He grew out his hair for, for right. this period. So, right. Okay. Ed, thanks, Ben, for joining up and holds up his stool. I said, this is a stool I've had since 1995. You think of 1995 and stools? That's probably the same one that he was using at Red Rocks. He says, it's his favorite stool and it's very important to me. And then ask if they see what's on it, and the crowd goes berserk. This is what I was trying to look up. And what somebody that was relaying the information said, it was a Longhorn logo. So hook them mm-hmm. horns. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's going to get that crowd real crazy in Austin. During football season. Oh, oh, yeah. Yep. This is right in the thick of it, of course. It's evolution, baby. Evolution, real me, then alive. And this is all pretty fast, all right in a row. Evolution was fun driving, and, you know, they wanted to keep that stage bouncing. It feels like they're not going back to some of the more mid-tempo stuff and, and just ramping those up. They're taking the songs that are meant to be ramped up and kind of putting them in full force. Real me was one of those. I think real me had a little bit of a tough time getting going here. There was a it bit almost of a, fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. There was a bit of a bump in the road in the middle, but the good parts sounded, you know, like they were bouncing and everything like that. But yeah, they almost, they almost kind of went over the rails with it. You didn't think there was anything off about do the evolution. I really like it just not totally. Like I, I think it was just kind of, when songs are kind of erupting like that, you just kind of think of the speed and, and that song, when you think of speed, it, it kind of works for it. So I it thought even, it was, it was fine. It wasn't even the speed for me. I just thought like, if it, it felt like somebody again was like, was that a tune or something was, something was off on it. It just didn't feel like it normally does. It felt like, like, you know, I'd have to go back and, and really dig into a little bit to figure it out. But Listening to it on this, like especially maybe coming after Red Mosquito, yeah. Listening to it, I just just had a bunch of questions. Like, it just didn't sound good. I mean, just that there's just no way around it. It just didn't sound like do the evolution normally sounds. Just I don't know. It's weird. I'm at the edge of my seat to hear what your rating is going to be on this show. Yeah, yeah. Apologies in advance, Dan. Love you. Yeah. Uh, alive right here i think like a loud bombastic ending to the set big crowd chants wild solos like gaining all the momentum up for this and kind of bottling it and just letting it all out and you know this is one where matt really showed his stuff like this is a big matt song on this night especially towards the end he just freaking he cranks it he's just 
yeah, this is the song that everybody wants to hear from the festival, but you don't think you're going to hear it like this. I thought that this was a superb version of Alive. Yeah, it didn't do much for me. Well, okay. And we're on to Encore 2. And what we're about to do here is a real honor for us, being the band. Who we're inviting up here is a real inventor. He invented all the shit that's happening up here. He's one of the greatest singers that has ever lived, and we'd like him to take the keys to this band and drive as fast as he can. Please welcome to the stage, Mr. Perry Farrell. Like, don't go into this thinking that, like, Perry's gonna shout like he did in 1991 or anything like that. His voice out of a lot of that generation's voice took a pretty big dip after a while. And, you know, like, yeah, that, that's mostly the reason. But, yeah, he just kind of had his style. And, and now to kind of reach anywhere close to his style is really breathy in a way, if you know what I mean. Like, he sure. kind of has yeah. to prepare for that. Yeah. And I think the story, though, we have to kind of go back to the early, early days. I want to tell this, that Pearl Jam is more connected with Perry and Jane's Addiction than you think. Because oh, back sweet. back in the Green River days, Jeff and Stone went to go see them in... 1988. Yep. In like a... I don't know. It, was a, it wasn't an arena, but I think it was like a bigger theater. And they looked and they said, wow that's exactly what we want to be. That's exactly what we want to do. That's the kind of music we want to write, and this is the kind of people that we want to play it to. And Green River was kind of just Seattle band, you know, sub-pop band. Garage. Yeah, they were the sub-pop band, and that wasn't going to get them to any sort of notoriety outside of Seattle. And for Mark Arm, I don't think he wanted that. But Jane's Addiction sort of led 
to Jeff and Stone kind of breaking off and doing Mother Love Bone and wanting to kind of create that style that worked for arenas. And Mother Love Bone, I think that it had the chance to do that. I think it had the chance. I think that they could have evolved and it could have gotten really, really good. But obviously, if you do think about Pearl Jam and sort of the opportunity of what they've been able to do, you know, I think in Stephen Hyden's book, he mentioned punk rock, arena rock. Yep. And yep. that's the best way to put it. And I think a lot of that stems from their influence from Jane's Addiction and Perry. Oh, yeah. In a certain way. I mean, the late 80s were just a wasteland for music almost everywhere. And we you know with a few exceptions here and there, but really the first bands of the nineties were really Jane's addiction and the pixies. You can look at it. The late nineties as the bands that really influenced everyone over the next four or five years and really kind of created the alternative kind of rock world that we would have three, four, five years later. And yeah, Pearl Jam is absolutely indebted to Jane's Addiction. So this is kind of a nice way to kind of pay that back in a way and bring Perry out. This is a nice touch. I mean, Pearl Jam is, they've done like the Summertime Rolls thing, which which we got. I think they brought back once in, in 2010. I think it was Wrigley. So they've, they've done little nods to them throughout the years. And it, this was nice to see for Perry to come out and, and do Mountain Song. And Mountain Song's a great song. Like it's one of Jane's Addiction's best songs. So yeah, it just felt like they were having a good time. And as Ed mentioned, I'm going to mention this kind of as the other connection, and it's more obvious than the other one. He said he's a real inventor. He invented all the shit that's happened up here. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Lollapalooza comes into factor right. when it comes that's to right. that. And I, I really think that there are two sides to Pearl Jam's explosion in 1992. One was where everybody got to see and hear the songs on radio and MTV and got to see Jeremy and all that. That was one Ascension. But I think the other one, and perhaps the one that maybe stuck with some fans and created more of a lifelong fandom than the other part, was seeing them at Lollapalooza and really figuring out who they were, basically playing at what, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. Very, very low on the bill but just sort of owning the stage every single night. And I think that a lot of people that went to those shows really early on are still going to shows today and have been to a lot of shows. And I think it's interesting to see kind of where that, that splits a little bit. You know, we talked a lot about with Stephen Hyde, and you should go back and listen to that episode that came out this week. We talked a lot about how people perceived Pearl Jam early on and how people still kind of perceive them because of all that happened in 10. And if they had the perception of seeing them at Lollapalooza in 1992, I think things would be totally different for them. Yeah. I mean, Pearl Jam, they were such a, like that was the underdog years, right? They were this young, hungry band in 1992. Yeah. Put us on at two o'clock in the afternoon. We'll blow everyone else off the stage, get you in our 30 minutes. You know, they were hungry and like, they wanted that. Like, yeah, they were ready to get after it every single afternoon. And in a lot of ways, yeah, like Lollapalooza, the influence of it, you just can't, I mean, how many things were whatever a Palooza in the nineties, like even was on the Simpsons, like Homer Palooza. And it, you know, the influence of that is, is still around, you know, 30 years later, 
you know, your Coachella and Riot Fest and all these things that happen all across the country and across the world now. But yeah, Perry Farrell is one of the most influential people in the 90s, probably. He doesn't get a lot of the, the credit for doing that stuff. But again, it just goes back to being like, like a nice kind of moment to get him out and have him come out and sing with them and kind of pay that back for him, you know, giving them a chance in 1992. Yeah, just a lot of fun. It was uh, the yeah. performance was fun, a memorable moment for anybody that was there, including Dan and Ed and Perry getting to sing together. I'm sure they had a blast, and they probably had a blast the next time they did it in Lollapalooza in Brazil or or Chile. I can't remember which one it was in 2018. The last song of the night is going to be rocking in the free world. It's dedicated to all the soldiers. Perry is still out there helping sing the chorus, and there is a point where ed does indeed go into the crowd to get in the mud and i think it's sort of during stone solo where you hear a little bit of a surge and it's just kind of filling the party atmosphere just being the last band to play the festival and ed being the everyman and saying yes i must roll in the dirt with you guys is a great way for him to communicate with the audience and like connect with the crowd i don't think there is a better way to do that and I don't think there is a better way to do that than jumping in the mud and becoming one of them. So Re- recapturing some of that 1992 Lala Blues spirit. Maybe. Of course. Yeah. Well, yeah. Perry's on stage. So he's yeah. like, Hey, yeah. watch this. You remember this from back in the day? And that's we just needed, we needed the Jim Rose circus there to, yeah, uh, right. to really give it the full effect. That's right. Okay. We're going to pick three moments here. I guess you're going to go first on this. Sure. Do that. My number three is Evenflow. Thought that Mike had a really good show. He had a really good solo here, just tore it apart right from the very beginning. My number two is Corduroy. Like the ending of that with Mike and Matt together. Great way to start off the show. I thought the show had a really good one-two punch at the very beginning. And of course, my number one is going to be Red Mosquito with Ben Harper. How can it not be? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go number three. I'm going to go with Unthought Known, just a, a stellar version of that, especially being that early on. You're sort of seeing the development of it being connected with the crowd. I'm going to go number two, Mountain Song, because it's just great to see legends on stage together, and I would be kind of remiss if I didn't put that in the top three and uh, number one is red mosquito because this moment is kind of like a moment in time yeah they do it a lot in 2009 but they never do it again after that so it's kind of one of these things and you know maybe through time things like this kind of get forgotten about so that's one of the many purposes that we have to sort of bring that back to light again and it's a pleasure to do it and it was a pleasure to listen to so Okay, John, go ahead and disappoint everybody. Well, here's the thing. This show has got some some good moments, like our Pearl Jam shows do. Like I said, it's got a good one-two punch to open up the show with Wygo and Corduroy. Even flows a nice moment. The encore, you get a couple of special guests, which is always very, very cool with Red Mosquito and Mountain Song. Super, super fun. Again, like I mentioned, I've, I've been at a show like this where they're at a festival, They've got two hours flat, and you got to try to kick it in. And afterwards, you're kind of like, you're left a little bit of, of wanting. Like, oh, they just di- didn't really feel like they were able to reach their full potential tonight. It felt like they left some stuff on the table. And the one I went to didn't even have the Red Mosquito moment and the, and the Mountain Song moment here that, that this one does. Yeah, listening to this, and again, love you, Dan. 
the people that were there, I totally get it. Every Pearl Jam show is is a ten for someone. This one's not a ten for me. Like listening to this, just kind of fell flat. Probably not one that I'm gonna gonna go back to anytime soon. I'm gonna give this a five. Well, that is very low. That is very low, but it's very very rare to see oh, us with, without Red Mosquito on Mountain Song. This is like a three. Well. I think my my standard, if I enjoy a festival set, it's a seven, and I keep it out of seven. If it goes and exceeds my expectations, sometimes in rare occasions it does, like See Here Now is obviously a different story, but this makes the seven, I think. This hits the seven. I don't feel like I want to give it even more. I don't feel like I want to give it less, so I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I know I had some negative things to say about it as well as you did, but I think that's part of why we look back on this stuff. We're not trying to piss on your memories. Like we, we said. also had good things to say. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah. We're, we're, it's just being observant. It's being observant. And I hope that you guys can respect that factor of what the show is. Because if we just had, you know, just lollipops and gumdrops and flowers and rainbows for every single thing, we'd be a pretty boring ass show. I just tell you that. So it was fun though. It's always fun to listen to a new show that we haven't listened to before. I don't think I'd ever listened to this mainly because I didn't have the bootleg before, <laughs> before a couple days before recording this. So that would have helped. But now we got to get into next week and what we're doing next week. And I actually sit here right now a little uncertain, but I'll give you guys two options as to what we're going to do. Both of them are Patreon requests, and both of them were set for October. There's one that's originally on the schedule that's supposed to be Boston from 2006, the night that Leash came back. And that is a request from our patron, Joe Iarici. And then at the end of the month, we were going to do Dublin from 2010. And that is a request from our patron, Claire. Now, I had reached out to Joe. He had really been interested in wanting to come on the show and, and talk about his moment. He talked about wanting to do it since pretty much the beginning of him joining Patreon, and we haven't heard from him yet. So I'm hoping that we do hear from him soon and we do get the episode out, and that's the one. But if not, then we're going to wait for him. And we're going to do Dublin. I'm going to reach out to Claire and see if she wants to add anything for the Dublin show. So that's where we're at. Boston or Dublin. Ooh, it's like you a pick. choose your own adventure book. Right, it, it is. And really, you know, Boston and Dublin, not much of a difference, right? It's all oh, Irish. That, that, that Dublin show's got Of the Earth. I think that's the Of the Earth debut. That right? sure is. Yeah. Very, very good. Very, yeah. very good. But outside of that... We're just going to keep working on getting you guys great content as we always do, and hopefully more very, very soon. And actually, we do have more for next week. I might as well just tee that up right now. You guys may remember a story out of Camden that a father and son named Rich and Dermot Berg had both had the opportunity because of a little bit of a contest. All donations went into all in Washington where if you donated, you would get an entry into this prize contest that would allow you to help create a set list for any Pearl Jam show from 2022. And they won, and they picked Camden. And for a lot of people that really, really love Camden, 
That was a show that I think you guys can thank Rich and Dermot for picking them because it kind of goes back to the Amsterdam one that happened in 2012 too, where they kind of just randomly picked Brian and and Brian picked out the set list and the set list Mm -hmm. was obviously revered by so many people and being like very old school kind of stuff and uh, obviously having bugs. And I feel like the Camden one kind of had a little bit of that too, because there was a lot of old school stuff in that as well. But, you know, I came out of that show absolutely loving it and, you know, getting songs that I hadn't heard before, getting songs I hadn't heard since my first and second show. So can't wait to send that out to you guys and have you guys listen to that because I think you're really going to enjoy that and their stories. So that should be out the next Monday on the 10th. All right, I think we can finish this one out and we'll do the whole spiel and then I'll do another spiel that usually happens on this show. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already and miss you always. If you are subscribed to the show, hopefully you're subscribed on Apple or Spotify or anywhere where you can subscribe to podcasts. If you are subscribed on Apple or Spotify, please take a moment and rate us the five stars. That is appropriate to the rating system over on those platforms, and that'll help us get the visibility whenever anybody wants to search for a Pearl Jam podcast on Apple What'll help us out as well as the rating is a little bit of a comment too, just telling everybody what you like of the show and what you'd like to see in the future. And and just, you know, the, I think the, the best thing about this is that the word spreads. And once one person hears about it, you know, n- the next person hears about it. I think I kind of talked about it somewhere where a lot of people kind of came up to me that I had never met before on this tour and they were just like, yeah, I love what you do. Or some people were like, yeah, I've seen you post on such and such before or said, I follow you on Twitter or, or, or whatever have you. And like, that's how all that stuff spreads. And hopefully we can continue that momentum and gain some listeners by doing all these different things, because that's the kind of community that we love. And that's the kind of community that we hope to receive. And that's all for now. Pick your destination for the next show next week. It might be in Massachusetts. It might be in Ireland. Whatever it is, we'll see you then. There was a, there was a woman I saw last night. I saw her in the front row. And um, I think she's here tonight. Last night we ended up, I shared a glass of wine with her. Um, her name's Ashley. She's got a yellow shirt on sometimes. Do I see you, Ashley? Well, I just want to send a little toast out to Ashley. And, um, you know, last night she was, uh, where is she? Way over there. Is that you going like that? Why don't you get over here? You're sitting too far back. Come on up. Come on, Ashley. We're going to update, upgrade the seat. Take care of Ashley, will you? Come on down. We got a spot. Are you tested? <laughs> um.
Ashley was smiling at me last night, smiling at all of us, and, and then uh, poured her a sip of wine, and, and um, she just had a great beaming energy. And then, and then I got a note, uh, I got a note today that, that said she's actually been getting through quite quite a amount of pain because uh, she's gone through some loss recently, as, as a lot of us seem to have been having to go through. Um, but she said in, in this note that, that our music um, has saved her time and time again. And, uh, and we've been very fortunate over the years to, to hear that a few times. But um, I just want to tell you all this, that, that it's you that keeps us healthy to keep playing, that keep us together so we can keep playing, that makes us friends still. You turned us into best friends so we can still be here to keep playing. All you folks have really kept us alive, so we thank you. It's the truth. So we're happy to return the favor, and we're thinking about you, Ashley, and we're thinking about Jesse and Joe and Uncle Roma. This one's for them. What the fuck is this here? One, two, damn. Leave a message in the sky. in a voice one last time. Feeling my feeling is good. Be my time by you. Would you hit me? Would you hit me? 